Welcome to the Dance Rants podcast. I'm Dylan Holly, a freelance artist and teacher with an urban dance background based in the Netherlands. And I'm Hayden Idris, a classically trained dancer now working for the Dutch modern dance company Intradance. This podcast is a platform to create discussion about dance and to learn and gain insight from our guests. We hope you enjoy. Say welcome to the Dance Rants podcast, Evan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to um, be on here with you. What have you been up to this time? Like, obviously, not a lot at first, but are you starting to find like work again? Because you're predominantly freelance at the moment, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm fully freelance, but um, I've done a bit of work here and there. I was lucky enough to have a residency with some friends in Switzerland. Um, oh, nice. Which is wonderful because also I have a lot of family there. So I killed two birds with one stone. I got mm. to be in a studio for two weeks, which was dreamy and like the best feeling ever after two months of nothing and also to see my family and see how they were doing so and then another thing which I'm really thankful for is I've been working online via zoom with a choreographer based in Germany so we've done a lot of zoom calls so I'm a bit of a zoom professional now (laughs) (laughs) you're performing in that or you're helping him create it well, I mean, I'm performing in it. It's five of us in total. So him as a choreographer, but also dancing, mm. performing in it, let's say. Um, and four dancers performing. So it's it's all confined to our apartments. And it's been exploring what this world is right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a different way of working. I actually noticed with some people, I mean, with myself as well, it's actually sometimes nice because you're like feeling a little bit more safe in your own space. So especially for like research kind of things, maybe it gives a bit more freedom for that. Yeah, I agree. I, I It's been incredible, like the stuff that we've come up with during this time. But I think a big, a big thing that I miss is like space and studio yeah. and feeling full. But, yeah. you know, that'll come again and we just have to keep figuring out what this time means. Yeah. Is that like the goal of that to have it online eventually, or is it to be performed in theaters once Corona's yeah. over? It's, it's, it's going never to... going to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I think the plan is that it'll be uh, broadcast live once, but the goal is to um, bring it to theaters and make a, possibly like a, uh, the Zoom version, and then you go into the theater and you see sort of us trying to recreate that yeah with adapt space and yeah yeah but like a new platform really needs to be built because if this keeps happening what are we going to do and yeah because like have you guys found any like interesting things that say are kind of um like unexpected surprises through using zoom that you get to either tell the story or frame dance in a way that is interesting that like you wouldn't be able to do like you know what i mean what you find to the the platform yeah so without giving too much away yeah 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 (laughs) Um, i'm writing down all of this (laughs) (laughs) um we i i have a part in the piece where i have many different devices so you're seeing my dancing or my movement through different angles and sometimes i'm caught in one screen and out of the other so it's you know you decide what you really decide what you want them to see because it's all through camera and if i want them to just see my hand they're only going to see my hand and you're working with multiple cameras 
I'm working with three different cameras. That's and fun. Are you finding that also then having that consciousness um, to decide what is shown? Because having the camera obviously gives you the ability to do that. Is it also making it difficult to create the movement? Because there's a level of responsibility also to make sure that the movement is interesting for that specific camera angle, you know? Oh, definitely. Um, so with Zoom, it's wonderful. You can record sessions and then look at it back. And that's been a big factor in creating movement material, just constantly creating, 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 throwing everything out there, looking at it back, seeing what works, seeing what angles are right. And it's been a process. That's <laughs> lots of early morning rehearsals. <laughs> and are you working like partner work through camera like interactive stuff like how does that work you're not okay <laughs> maybe some of the other people are <laughs> yeah because I see some stuff online where people play with the the fact that the screens are together and everything but I imagine that's like being a weatherman or something like having to pretend like there's something here on the green screen and act with it right it's like let me pull this out oh I got your water bottle <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, so it's it, we we really tried so many different things, which I think is incredible about the process and about what we're creating. It's like we've been doing this for months now, and you think, okay, in two weeks I can create something, but it's so surface level. And we figured out you can use like green screen, you can use uh, other people's videos, you can sort of place cameras in different areas. So we've really developed these ideas um i don't know if i answered the question yeah yeah no no, 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 it's, no it's good it's uh, no it sounds really interesting uh, when will when is the premiere the premiere um I'll just check my schedule i think it will be september 20th okay. although i'm not entirely sure and on what plat streaming platform do you find it how do you get tickets no, uh, I don't think tickets will be necessary. Oh. It'll just be a one-time showing. If you catch it, you catch it. Um, oh, okay, cool. Unsure where it will be posted, but I will for sure be posting it on my um, social media, like upcoming production, let's say. Right. Yeah. And you're going to, it'll be like live. Yeah. Okay. So cool. that's stressful. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully all the technology works because that's... Uh, if technology goes down, you know, you're kind of just... <laughs> yeah, would you be more jittery about a live online performance than you would on a stage? Yes, 100%. It's completely different, like... I mean, there's so many more factors. I, in stage, I feel more in control. If the music cuts out, yeah, I'll figure out what to do. Yeah, it's but... not your fault that that happened. There's a team working with that, like... Right, but if your internet goes out and all of a sudden... <laughs> they're alone and it's your solo or whatever then you feel a bit bad <laughs> yeah yeah well, it's okay, interesting because yeah. the, the element of the camera really opens up a whole new world of possibilities in terms of creating so it's uh, interesting to see the kind of things that people are starting to produce now that we're getting more used to this situation you know i think that's one of the things that dancers have also been really incredible about during this pandemic it's finding new ways of functioning within our art form and yeah. I think I read an article that yeah dancers were like really pushing the boundaries of creating new um paths for us yeah well it has to happen now because things are getting so bad like theaters aren't opening funding's getting cut like yeah. 
I feel so bad for the dancers in Belgium because they're not getting supported by the government. Like, or it's it's trickier for them to be supported by the government. So yeah. some people just don't get anything. And yeah. Yeah, I think as it continues as well, I mean, we're still, I don't want to say very much in the beginning, but it is still the beginning of this. We don't know how long it's going to go for, if it will come back year after year. It's still so unknown. So yeah, we just have to keep going. And, and it is very unfortunate about other countries that don't have the support that we have here in the Netherlands. Or I don't know how it is in Dublin for you. Uh, well, I, I kind of got screwed by both situations because I am a ZZ peer in the Netherlands. So I was applicable for Tozo. And, and when I first applied by all the criteria, I should get it. And then they changed the criteria while I was here to needing to be in the Netherlands. So they cancelled my payment and I don't pay tax in Dublin and I've never been a freelancer in Dublin. So I can't get the Irish one. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got called by someone from the Gemeente the other day because I wrote a big letter explaining like I'm still paying my rent in the Netherlands. I still pay my taxes. So yeah. I, I got a call and there might be something I can do, but there's no guarantee. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. But I'm healthy and I have my family here. So like I already have a lot more than some people like. Yeah, I, I, that's a big thing. I think you still have to look at what you have and not what you're missing out on. Yeah, would like free money, but. Um... <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> How has that been for you being a freelancer who is in the Netherlands at the moment? Is the support system good for freelance artists? Um, it's all right. Uh, so I live with my partner. And he is also a freelancer. So because of that, we get less than if I were to be a single ZZ payer. Okay. So basically, I'm surviving off of 750 euros a month. Jeez. Uh, right. It's, um, it's okay. I mean, you know, change your lifestyle a bit. You pay your rent. You pay your uh, health insurance. You pay your groceries. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And and you're really, it's not that you're sit, like taking this time to sit out either. Like you're really doing the most that you can with these rehearsals through Zoom. You're not just sitting on the sidelines watching everything happen and having a holiday and still right. you're having to live off this. You know, it's, it's crazy mean, because there, there's not there, much you can do. There's a little bit of holiday, but definitely I think it's it's unfortunate. But at the same time, I'm just thankful enough that there's some support. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, and there'll be other times you make money, and there's other times that you just make enough to, to um, to flatline. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't feel good as a artist or anybody working like really hard for your craft and just getting the kind of bare minimum. While like people who can work from home with internet businesses and stuff like that, they just continue to earn full salaries and. Right. Or the people who um, get unemployment and they get 90% of their previous paycheck. Oh, right. And they're getting like, if someone has 2,000 or 3,000, you know, they're making, let's say 2,500 a month yeah. but, and they're on vacation basically. So yeah. what's the different criteria for unemployment versus? Versus the Tozo. Yeah, yeah. So because we are ZZ payers and self-employed, we can technically not be unemployed because we're self 
employed. Ah, uh, right. So therefore, okay. we cannot have ninety percent, but we just get the the tozo as a good luck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because like I thought at first when they made the Tozo that they were that it was a good system that like they were just really trying to help people straight away and that they wouldn't like be too tough on it. But the fact that they brought in more and more rules and that the fact that you have a partner that you live with that you get less is I don't know. It's just silly when they like bailed out KLM as soon as the, like they started to go under, just pump money into that. It's just so painful. The Irish government actually did really well. They just gave anybody, and I, that's why I wish I'd just been able to apply for that when I came back. They just gave everybody who applied for COVID payment 350 euro a week, like without needing to test it or anything. Now that's gone. You can't get that anymore. Now you have to get unemployment benefit. But mm-hmm. for the first, like, what, three, four months, if you were in trouble, you just got it. Well, hopefully some of the countries will learn the next time this comes around. Hopefully there's not a next time, but you know. Yeah. yeah, it's just about like finding opportunities like or just being allowed to work because for one, if theaters don't open, how do you do it? Does everything happen on Zoom? Then you like you still need other professionals because then you're you need film experts to get involved. You still need to work in person. You still need funding, you know, yeah. I mean, it all also comes down to funding. If if we weren't getting so in the beginning, we started this process without any idea about funding. And about a month and a half to two months in, we found out, okay, there'll be a little bit of money for us to keep going so that it's not a waste, let's say. So that's great, but you know, it also depends on funding that needs to build up as well. And yeah. And if you get that funding, does that impact your Tozo? A hundred percent. I mean, that's my, so silly like yeah my boyfriend just uh taught for the first time yesterday or two days ago um some classes again and let's say he makes 100 euros that'll go off the tozo mm. so you're encouraged to work but but um, unless you work more than what you get from the tozo it's not worth it exactly it's oh, painful <laughs> Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> well, on, on to a more positive Happy. topic. Yeah. Is there one, really? Is there? <laughs> Jump. Um, obviously, now we've been talking about you being freelance and how that's been affected during this situation of COVID. Um, but you worked for several years in Concert Theatre Burn and then also in um, National Dance Company of Wales, right? Yeah. And uh, we, were, we were just interested in hearing a little bit about how you made the transition from being a company dancer to a freelance artist. Sure. Um, Yeah, after, so I did three years in Switzerland and then I did six months. I was offered a six month contract in Wales and about halfway through that, the person I was replacing decided not to come back from his sabbatical. So they offered me to stay on. But at that moment, I realized that I wanted to have some more freedom in my life. And I was very thankful for the opportunity, but I just needed to do something different. I mean, I had been, I had gone straight from school, which was an intense institution, into another institution, directly into another institution. And I just felt like I needed some time to explore 
the other side of dance that I had never explored. So I left there in December, which was also interesting because it was not after an end of the season, it was like halfway, and then began freelancing, which was terrifying to begin with. (laughs) But ultimately, I'm very happy with my decision. Did you have some major difficulties when you first made the, the jump? Like, I think one thing that can be really difficult for anybody who's starting in the freelance industry is kind of accruing any kind of network and trying to get work from people that you know, maybe. Is that something that you'd thought about before you decided to make the decision to, to leave? Or uh, Sort of, yeah. I had been in touch with someone, a choreographer I'd worked with before, and he was saying that they were going to be doing a project, they would love if I could do it, and that was a bit of an incentive to say, okay, there's something on the other side uh, to at least give me a start. That being said, unfortunately, that project got cancelled. Of course. (laughs) But uh, my first, so actually, when I left Wales, I had then a bit of holiday, I went back to the US, where I'm from, and saw my family, And before I finished, they had asked me to come back for two weeks to uh, guest and do some shows so that they had time to teach the new dancers the material. So that was great that there was a little cushion. And then I was incredibly lucky. I got a project in Scotland through just emails. I had a friend give a recommendation for me and I emailed him, the choreographer was interested and I had not heard from him for a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, I thought I should email him again. And it was right at that moment where he was deciding who to hire for the project. And he was like, maybe this is a sign. <laughs> so then I did that project. Like I, I left uh, Wales, two weeks holiday, two weeks of work, and went straight from that into the next project, which was about six weeks. Oh, great. Who, who was this with in Scotland? Uh, uh, Rob Heeslip, he's actually... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the name, I was like, aha! <laughs> and that you, to- you toured in Ireland as well a bit, did you? Yeah, um, a bit in Dublin and another place near Dublin, which I forget. How I- was it to perform in, in Ireland? Like, what was the like reception like and everything? Because I just feel like dance is still... Nobody knows about it here. I feel like so few people actually go to see dance in Ireland. Yeah, um... I mean, when we first performed in Dublin, it was, what is that, the theatre um, arts project? project? Yeah, Project Arts Centre. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was great. I was, like, loving that theatre. But I don't remember if there was such a big turnout for audience. Um, he definitely has a lot of, what's the word, uh, contacts in Ireland, of course. He's yeah. Irish, and so he met a lot of dancers there who came and knew him or wanted to see but I don't remember there being such a big turnout like general public yeah general public yeah which is it's it's really insular here it's very much the dancers will go to see the performances and stuff like that and that's very very much it and it's yeah I think it's it's a little bit like that everywhere though I think I don't know I mean yes for sure like dancers are the first ones to go but Compared to when I was living in New York, I mean, you have all the arts patrons and... Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I wanted to ask you about as well, was what was the experience like living in New York? Because obviously it's this super cultural and artistic city and it's filled with people who are really well-established as well as people who are up and coming, you know? So what was that like? 
it was you, you lived there while studying in Juilliard, was it? Yeah, I was there for four years. Yeah. Um, and it was incredible. I loved my time in New York. Uh, it's a place like no other. And like you said, full of arts, thriving. And there's like uptown art scene, downtown art scene. There's so much to be seen. And it's really incredible. That being said, through the program, you don't have so much time <laughs> to really... I mean, you do get time, but it's a really intense program, Juilliard. So I don't think I utilized New York's art scene as full as I should have. And Julia, the program itself, does it incorporate any of those things from the New York art scene? Or it's also a little insular? I would say it's a bit of both. Uh, the joke while you're there is that you're inside the Juilliard bubble. You don't really know about so much outside. But... They do sometimes have some guest teachers from around or guest speakers from the New York scene because, of course, there will be people who end up freelancing. So they do try and give you a bit of uh, information, but it is still a bubble, I would say. Yeah. Sounds like a good bubble, though, just if I look at like, like how many people from Juilliard are in good companies in Europe and whatever, Like, because I, I was hanging out in... Gothenburg like two years ago because I went there to kind of shadow Eastman a bit and there's just so many people from Juilliard in that company yeah. <laughs> like, and then NDT had come over to perform as well with NDT too so it was just like it was like a Juilliard reunion in in Gothenburg <laughs> I, like, it's just really funny it's like, a little much <laughs> you guys have taken over the world <laughs> like, no 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 um no I think we're really fortunate uh with the connections that are made. Um, the ex-director, so there's a new director of the school now, so I can't really say much about what's going on there now. But when I was there, the director was really pushing for artists to go to Europe because that's where his career was. And he made lots of connections. So when I did my auditions, they set up a private audition for Saarbrücken with um, Stain Sellis. They helped get our name out to um, certain choreographers, like if people wanted to audition for Batsheva, the director, if he thought that you could, he would write a letter to Ohad and mm. say, hey, I think you should see this dancer. That's so helpful. It's yeah. incredibly helpful. Who, who was this director of your school at the time? Uh, Larry, uh, Lawrence Larry Rhodes. Sounds like a good dude. <laughs> yeah, he, um, yeah, he was good. Yeah. For his position or whatever. Yeah. For, for his position. You know, yeah. I think as a dancer there, there's still trauma. <laughs> yeah, there has to be. There's pros and cons to everywhere. Um, are you happy to talk about that a bit? Yeah, 100%. For like, sure. So, yeah, just pros, cons to Juilliard, because I'm just curious to hear uh, how different schools work. Yeah, pros, I think incredible foundation of education you get incredible teachers who dance with Martha Graham or with uh, uh, Limone and just like these sort of icons of dance and it also like I said when I was there was really pushing European um, education or European jobs let's say um, and Actually, Juilliard was one of the first schools that didn't make you choose if you wanted a ballet or modern major. You really just got it all, and they try and create the most 
well-rounded dancer as possible. Positives. Negatives. I think there's a sort of psychological feeling when you go to Juilliard or when you leave Juilliard that you expect so much of yourself and comparing to other people or other graduates or thinking that your career should be at a certain place because you went to Juilliard when in fact it's just a school. Um, and then also just Juilliard, of course, has this name of uh, being one of the best dance schools. And when you get in there, it's wonderful. But also while you're there, you're with the best of the best. And I say that with quotations because there's incredible dancers or even better dancers who don't get into Juilliard for reasons that are they're just not the right fit that year or they don't fit with the program, but they you know, you see them succeed in so many other places. Um, so there's also a psychological, what's the word? Um, comp there's a lot of competition. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure there. Mm -hmm. A lot of pressure and a lot of competition. And I think a lot of it is put on yourself, but I also think some of the teachers will push people against each other, thinking that it will help Be them. Good for them, yeah. But yeah. maybe doesn't. Yeah, I, but I don't think that's localized just to Juilliard. I think oh, it's just an no. old school mm -hmm. way of teaching. Definitely. Because I'm, I'm aware that the majority of teachers that teach in dance academies are not trained to be teachers. They're, they're extremely successful dancers who might have like zero people skills. <laughs> <laughs> and a, like a shit ton of their own baggage that they're just... Like from their probably bit jaded career that they had to, you know, elbow through because they lived in a probably more competitive um, like vibe in auditions, maybe I feel. Yeah. Sometimes, though, I wonder if us as artists were to be how we are now, 20 or 30 years ago, how that would be, because I do think there's so many more dancers nowadays. Mm, Might yeah. have been a bit easier back then. Not saying that like. Yeah. Crediting anyone's career at all. I think if you've had a career, that's wonderful. But I've always wondered if, if we all were to graduate from our perspective, respective schools 20, 30 years ago, who would we be in the dance world now? To comment on that, I mean, you only have to look at someone like Nureyev, who is like this incredible figure that everybody looks up to and everybody respects. But then you compare him to your modern day ballet dancer and anybody in any core or graduating from any ballet school is easily surpassing him. That's maybe bad to say, but We're, well, blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you think about in terms of the ballet world, like 20 years ago, the prima ballerinas were like icons. They were walking around New York City in their designers. They were on magazines and now you see them walking in their sweats and it's so much more casual and there's not that I don't know prima air to them anymore yeah I, I get you and I definitely agree that there is more people so like more competition in that way but I don't know I feel like there's just a better sense of like human rights these days and stuff and like people <laughs> are just treated better so, I agree. So. yes <laughs> Like there's still so much stuff that needs to be worked on and figured out and inside the any art scene and especially the dance scene, like there's still bad shit happening. But I think 
there's more sensitivity about what people are going through and being asked to go through. And I think some teachers that you might have in your academy didn't have that and just like just push themselves no boundaries like her, like sacrificing some emotional layer of themselves that's for sure <laughs> and then that's your teacher <laughs> like, right. yeah I think and that's one of like the wonderful wonderful but also the other side like they were these artists with so much passion but you also felt like yeah they had to go through some real tough stuff back in their day yeah and maybe that they're not fully through it yet I, I i feel like that back in the day dancer and person were like really separate and in our contemporary era now it's really about like being a person as well as a dancer yeah i agree i mean it's probably also yeah. just just to do with the the evolution of the genre um with like contemporary dance evolving over the last couple of decades and our approach to incorporating concept and stuff within our work is probably a big part of that um really like humanizing dance on stage as well yeah i also think now it's so much more about the individual in dance how you were saying it's back in the day it was um everyone trying to look the same you know fitting the line and now in contemporary dance it's so much more internal and let's say through feelings or through how you perceive the movement it's not always as I don't want to say cookie cutter but as strict as it was back then yeah you know they definitely encourage a lot more and that's what you get to see when you go to some really great performances and stuff but there is that issue of because of this kind of free way of teaching and there was a period when there was a lot more funding in dance you just the scene is saturated with many talented people for a finite number of jobs yeah and then I feel like you have to go out there as an artist nowadays and sort of figure out for yourself or make jobs for yourself. It's not anymore waiting for auditions or waiting for castings. It's how am I going to make my make work for myself because you have to nowadays. Yeah, this is really a struggle with freelance because like I studied in Fontys and I feel like they were really pro freelance work, like project based stuff. But it's not something that you can really be prepared for is like finding work as a freelancer. It's so much who you know, because yeah. there isn't a lot of small project auditions. Like True. that's the that's the struggle like I've had since graduating is that it's just if you're waiting for auditions for like small projects, they're not coming. You have to be talking to people, going to their workshops or just going to their performances and you have to put in a lot of work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think it's almost 100 percent of it is um your connections your network yeah. you know networking is one of the biggest things that i think a lot of artists don't get taught in school how to do it the correct ways the correct people yeah it, it's something so simple that can be taught but a lot of students don't get that specific trick that that can really burst open your career as a freelancer yeah you need to like have your identity kind of like set already so that you when you meet people you're representing that when you're kind of like fresh and green out of academy then you you're just looking for like tell me what to do tell me what to do i think that also goes back to what you were saying about dance being in this place where it's not about being 
cookie cutter fitting the mold of, of everybody else that also now when you're going to work with somebody or when you're going to approach an audition or something it's really about having that sense of identity and representing that and showing that to the person who's in the front of the room so that they can see you and if if they choose to choose you or not it's based on their liking to you not necessarily your ability as a mover you know 100 percent. i mean i've that's one of the biggest things that i've always told myself when it comes to auditioning and i've done some of these incredible like like the big name auditions and i've gotten all the way to the end and then i've done maybe some of the worst dumbest auditions i feel like in my career and get cut in the first round and it's all based on the person in front of you what they um what they want it's about do they want you not about your dancing always it's it's all subjective and that's yeah. why you can't take any of it personally and i think but, that helps understanding that it's about whether or not somebody connects with you as a person more than you as a dancer yeah, yeah. But it's also hard to accept when you you're spending years like working on your crafts and then you suddenly are in the situation where it's almost doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. But, you know, if if you work super hard at one point, your your moment for you is going to happen. And it, it let's say if I were to get one of these jobs that I got cut at, you know, it wouldn't looking back on it it wouldn't have been right of course there's a reason why i got cut yeah it makes sense i wouldn't have jived with the mm. choreographer or i wouldn't have fit with all the other dancers and i think the biggest thing in terms of being a happy artist is accepting those moments and realizing it has nothing to do with you and just let it go because there's the next audition coming up and you can't carry that baggage with you yeah because it'll just ruin you for the next audition. And you'll yeah. keep constantly thinking about that without allowing yourself to just move forward and then, it sounds so corny, but truly let like yourself shine because that's what they want to see. Yeah. And also to continue to grow. I think if you dwell too much on, on the things that you miss out on, then it also takes away from you looking forward and growing as an artist as well to be better prepared for that next audition. Definitely, yeah. Do you have any uh, tips, like you said, that it's not really something that's a big part of education in terms of gaining and, and gathering a network? Do you have any things that have really worked for you that you found have made that part of being a freelance artist easier? What's your secret? <laughs> it's more of a career for it to really be a secret. <laughs> but um, I think you never know where a job is going to come from. And sharing opportunities with others. If you know of a choreographer who's looking to share that with somebody who you think might fit for that, even if it's for me, if it's another boy or, and if they would be competition when we audition, if I still think that they would be someone good for the project, I will for sure tell them to contact the choreographer. And then through that, I've also had them message me back and give me contacts that I didn't know about and given me jobs so I think network even through your own community as dancers not always to a choreographer share and let them share with you I think that's yeah, it's really about having a dialogue I think and that includes the the peers that are around you as well I think also something that I mean I can't really speak on it because I'm not very good at um 
staying in touch or gathering a network. But I think one Drew, thing... He's really to... bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one thing for me that has helped um, just reach out to people even for something like the podcast is really just reaching out to people. So if I see somebody's work who I admire, then why not tell that person? And I think that is enough to start a connection and create a relationship. And it's really, as long as it's genuine, I think it's uh, always something good to do. 100%. You never know where one of these connections can go. It can, it can end here or it can continue to thrive for four, five, ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, supporting each other inside of a community is really important. And I think that's something we don't really do very well because of Dance Academy. Like you have you have your friends, which, of course, you support, but it's like like in a survival way rather than seeing someone succeed and supporting them more. You're, you're more yeah. supporting the people who are struggling. But then it's it's also important to go. And that, that's the best way to network is to go up to people that you appreciate what they do even if they're not the choreographer, they're just a dancer or whatever, not just a yeah. dancer, they're one of the dancers and tell them like, what you do is amazing. Like, thank you for that. And yeah, people in auditions, like if you enjoy someone, go up and talk to them, you make a connection, you maybe stay at their place the next time you audition somewhere, they get you a job, you get them a job. It's friends. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, that's how I got this Zoom project and I will work with this choreographer again later. It's, a girl I met at an audition a few times, we chatted, I needed a place to stay, I asked her, and then she said, oh, um, there's a project, maybe you'd be interested. And then I told her, oh, there's this project, maybe you'd be interested. And now we're working mm. together. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, it's weird, because especially in the educations, I feel like we're really not taught how to just have these... It's really weird because when I go back home, I feel like a normal person for that month that I'm back in Australia and I'm having a chat with the person at the grocery store or the guy when I'm walking the dog at the beach, you know, and it, and everybody's just normal. We're just talking about life. And I feel like in dance, that doesn't exist so much. There's a bit of a barrier. There's You, you don't find these genuine moments of just conversation and interaction with people very often, I think. Yeah, like I've had that a bit in the recent months, like just peeling back my kind of views on dance. Because, yeah, you get into, I guess, it's a bit of an elitist kind of headspace, like at, when you're studying, because you're looking for what's right or wrong because you're trying to succeed, which means you're judging everything rather than like just not giving a shit and just appreciating. Being. Yeah, but you can just appreciate so many people. Like I started going to like since the studios have opened here, um, some friends who used to be in my crew years ago have been running a dance studio, doing like everything from commercial classes to hip hop classes to contemporary. And there's just a new generation of people there who are just really fiery and like passionate and don't have any formal training, but they're loving life. And it's just so great to kind of see that and not feel that dance has to be any one thing that it's just people in a space having fun and then you can just talk to people about that and show respect for what they're doing and you know it just feels good <laughs> to be nice <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah i think that's another thing as well respecting other art forms mm. within dance yeah um, yeah i mean I remember being younger and like looking at So You Think You Can Dance and being like, oh, God, what they do is awful. But, you know, there's a market for that. And yeah, there's true. some incredible dancers there and they have their world and we have our world. And 
within our world, there's also the classical, there's the neoclassical, the contemporary, the super urban, and there's so much, and you just have to respect other people's art forms. Yeah. yeah. Not to just pigeonhole yourself and, like, dance needs to be this. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, uh, I definitely, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was maybe one of those lovers of so you think you could dance back in the day yeah but going to debbie reynolds studio and stuff exactly (laughs) um and as time goes on you go further away from that and you sort of figure out your path but that whole scene in america is interesting because there's loads of those dancers get really big really young and then they like retire really early right yeah it's so weird (laughs) like compared to europe while like in Europe, it's people will try and be a da- like stay dancing for decades. Yeah, when I auditioned in Europe, I was 21, and the director of Bern looked at me and she says, mm, "You're really young." And in my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay, in America, I only are- got one year left." <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are 17 and they've like already made it and dancing behind all these people in commercials and they have their whole career set. So it's a whole other world in America than it is in Europe. And I'm very happy to be in Europe these days as I'm getting older. Yeah, just you have longevity in something here. But this is something I was talking to Hayden about the other day. It's still the frustration inside and everyone's feeling it because of lockdown and not having support and everything. But like financially, even if you're doing well inside a dance, you're like, you're not ever really accruing wealth for the future so it's always still living from like kind of day to day yeah I think that's another thing that should be taught to dancers to manage your money (laughs) to manage your money or to to think about how to create a product or to to invest because to invest in your own future you know, you can't think, okay, I'm going to have my career till I'm 35, then what? Mm. You know, life doesn't end when you're 36. You don't get your your um, pension what? or whatever. You know, you have to figure out what's what your next steps are. And you should figure that out from a younger age so that it's not so abrupt when it comes. Not saying that you have to finish when you're 35. I don't think I'll be done when I'm 35, hopefully. Mm. Yeah, I hope, I hope I'm done by the time I'm 35. You hope yeah, you done? Well, he wants uh, to be a choreographer. I don't think my body can uh, take it until I'm 35. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, don't, I don't work that hard on my <laughs> I'm like, that's my arabesque now, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But do you have kind of plans then, do you think, already? Or you just don't need to share them if they're secrets? <laughs> um... Not per se specific plans. I mean, I have some goals, but there I have so many different ideas. Mm. Uh, one of them that I've always thought of was being a company director, mm. just to to guide um, younger generations of dance um, and sort of give them maybe things that I love from companies or things that I wish I could have changed in companies that I can change then. That's been one idea that I've, toyed with for some years already um but you know it could be that i end up going a whole other way and one of the other ideas in my head decides to be the road i go on 
Yeah, I think what's difficult, especially for dancers who want to pursue something different but within the industry, is that there's not really a clear pathway. Like, I think a lot of the people that you see and you look up to, it's that they either went into choreography or to teaching or that they were just one of the lucky people that was chosen to direct straight away after being a dancer or that they had a lucky break into the next level of management within the dance industry because it seems like a bit of a waste to have accrued all this experience in an industry and then to transition into something completely different and not relevant feels like to me a waste and I also would like to stay within the industry but it's just a matter of finding a way is that something that you've thought about especially in terms of the aspirations to be a director do you have any sort of ideas about how you might get there or not entirely it could be through choreography but I, I really don't know I I will have a meeting with some of my old directors and I really plan on asking them how they got there if they have any information if it was through certain choices that they made um but I, I, like you said, I do know that there's not one right way to get there. Yeah. But in terms of what you said before, that you think it's a, a shame that we put in so much work now and then maybe to step out of the uh, career path that we're on so far. I did have that feeling before, but now I sort of imagine it's kind of incredible that us as artists get to have, let's say, two giant careers to have sort of two lives and to really explore if you have a second, what's the word? Vocation? Maybe vocation. <laughs> or a phase uh, or something. My English has changed so much since I've come here. Like I'm always forgetting words now. But another passion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a second passion and you have the opportunity to explore it and make another career out of it, it's wonderful mm. in my opinion yeah. you know everyone yeah, yeah, same. and i think some people some people only want to um have that dancing career and then transition into something completely different and i think that's great if you feel like that yeah like i'm toying with that at the moment like gonna try the dance therapy out see if it works but like i think within this next year if i don't feel like i can paint a tapestry that feels kind of coherent in the future then I might really take the step back for a while and you know go back to the drawing board corona's made me feel that it might be needed but what does dance therapy consist of like what in what sense will it you know um well it's a it's a psychotherapy so it's working with people so you could work with people who have PTSD or other psychological conditions who are dealing with depression uh, you can also work with people on like a physical sense like I'm gonna study to see which avenues kind of make a lot of sense and which ones there's more research and funding and development in like the masters is an arts therapy masters with two streams either music or dance oh okay cool um, yeah so it sounds interesting and I've done workshops of things similar to it over the years and like people are doing research into the fact that like dance is good for people with Alzheimer's so it's it's just using dance in a therapeutic manner rather than a um like okay not that it wouldn't be artistic then but you know what i mean the no. the goal is something else i know the they have um a big thing is dance for parkinsons yeah um yeah they do that a lot in many places so i am aware 
Yeah, because yeah, I know a guy who does that in Amsterdam, um, Andrew Greenwood, Alex Greenwood, Andrew, I think. I, I went to one of his courses and it's really touching to see what dance does for people who just getting to be in a room with other people and put aside the rest of their baggage and just have some attention with music and their body. It's. Um, I also think that sometimes one of the most inspiring things is to be a dancer and then to be in a room with people who aren't dancers and they're dancing and or to be teaching them or to be in a class with them. It's one of the most beautiful things because I think as dancers, we're often stuck on this idea of perfect. You know, there's that mirror. You're constantly judging yourself and other people are just enjoying it for the art form that it is. But I think that's going back to what you said, Evan, is that that's one of the difficulties when what you love becomes your profession and then it takes time to come back to loving it again, which makes it better, actually. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it can be done through simple things of going to take a Gaga people class and mm. just seeing how other people interpret these movements or these feelings and seeing the joy and seeing the curiosity in them to then remind yourself that you once had that. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's nice to touch base with that reality again. And it's similar to what you said about just even going back and taking classes that you used to like when you were younger. It's important to dip back into that like feeling. It's like the ink of creativity that dries up a bit when you're just living the life of a dancer. Yeah. The struggle of a dancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you can see that Dylan's already grown the prerequisite um, exactly. hippie hair for yeah. the course. <laughs> this is for my new surfer lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> Evan, I wanted to ask you because you mentioned before um, about your time in Juilliard, about the competitiveness between colleagues and that maybe the environment encouraged that sometimes. Is this something that you have seen to be more prominent in the US compared to Europe? Because I always get the feeling uh, when I meet Americans and American dancers that there's a little bit more of this cutthroat nature about them compared to myself and the European dancers. Um, We're pushovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I haven't danced in the US since I left there, about six years. But I didn't experience so much uh, competitiveness here. I think the first company I went in Switzerland was very much a family. Everybody was pushing each other forward, which was really wonderful. And then also in Wales, it didn't seem like there was much competitiveness either. So maybe it's an American thing. Although I do think, because I've only been in like contemporary companies and like really contemporary companies, I'm not like intradance, I feel is sort of in between. Yeah. I think in the classical world, there might still be a sense of competitiveness in terms of like ranking and how there's like a lot of soloists. And if you're in the core, if you're doing less, I think in contemporary world, there's a lot more opportunities of equalness, let's say on stage. So I don't know if, if there is that in the balletic world or more classical world here in Europe as well. But, um, I wonder. Well, it probably is related a little bit also to this idea of individuality 
which is really big in in the contemporary scene more than in classical scene, obviously, because in classical ballet you still have the prototype which you somewhat have to fit. Yeah, totally. Um, thinking, yeah, thinking back to the companies I was in, there wasn't really any other dancer like me, or everyone was an, so in such an individual that mm. there was really no need for comparison. So. Yeah. Do you feel like each company has clearly given you a new chapter in the way you, in your like book of dance and how you think about things? Oh, like, yes, yes. And do you have like kind of defining moments in each place or like specific things you learned from each uh, working environment since Juilliard? I don't know if I have defining moments or defining traits, but I think everything that you do is going to impact you and affect you, yeah. whether it's... Um, the connections you've made or the morning classes that sort of teach you how like a different way of moving, uh, the choreographers you work with, I think everything is going to impact you and drive you in a direction, whether it's right, left, forwards or backwards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no, no, I get you. But like, would you still feel you are very, like a lot of what you work from is very Juilliard or do you feel that that kind of has dissolved away and what you work from now is just you and what your experiences have been? The second one. I feel yeah. like Juilliard will always be a foundation. Yeah. There will always be an underlying element of what I was taught there, whether it's uh, technique or performance aspects. And throughout the years of growing as a dancer and just growing as like a person in life, I've peeled back some of those layers to identify myself more and bring myself more forward, more to the foreground. Yeah, I don't know. I feel that I thought a certain way or still probably do just because of the school I went to. And it's only like now that I'm really starting to just get rid of that and, you know, really know that I'm thinking for myself rather than just thinking through the things I was taught. How many years have you been out of school? Only two. Yeah. Yeah. It took me some time and it, you need that time to really switch your mentality. And, you know, school is such a institution and you're getting so much information those years. I mean, they're just shoving it at you and asking you to absorb as much as you can. So even when you're getting out, you're still thinking about it. And, and yeah. it's until, I think a couple, like three, four years later that you can really step back and say, this is what I'm keeping. This is what I'm throwing away. This is what I'm going to hold for later. This is what's important now. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to do that, though, while you're in academy? Like, do you yeah. wish that you had thought a bit differently as a student when you were 100%. a student? 100%. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I was mature enough back then nor had enough confidence in myself back then to say, I don't need this, I need more of this. Based on my personality, but also based on like, it was Juilliard, you know, you just think I need everything. Yeah. But yeah. you don't always need everything. You can take it and maybe a little bit of that information from this one class is going to be helpful here, but I would have rather had this to, to push me further in my career path. But you're also in a class with 23 other students and your needs are not going to be the same as 
the person next to you. So that's why you get a general information just thrown at you. And from there, you have to take the time in the coming years to pick apart what it is that is going to really help you and benefit you. Yeah, it would be beneficial if you were given that kind of awareness, I think, early on in Academy because you just told, you have to pass everything. <laughs> right. But also, yeah. you're, you're 18 years old. You're such a fresh mind still. I mean, yeah. we were all 18 years old. I know in code arts and other schools like are in, yeah, in Europe that you can also come when you're 23, 24, 25. So yeah. it, it would be very interesting to, to attend your... Um, school at a older age because I think you will interpret things so differently and you will take what you're given differently mm. yeah and also when you're so young and your mentality is that you're going to a place to gain all these skills and be a product once you leave and so yeah yeah so it's difficult to really even get into that mindset that there are some things that maybe are not going to be useful for you because you just think everything is useful. Yeah. And in terms of Juilliard, you're paying a lot of money for it. Yeah. Thinking it's all useful. <laughs> yeah, God, like that's the amount of money you have to pay in America for for education. Ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it's so sickening to think about. Like, because then you're coming out and you have like you're also paying to live in New York. Yeah, exactly. That, and so you're just going to graduate with just debt as a dancer, <laughs> trying to pay uh, back debt. It's like, no. <laughs> um, older students, also every year the school gets more expensive. So when I was there, it was more expensive than someone who was there 15 years earlier. And someone who had graduated 15 years earlier, I remember him posting on Facebook when he was uh, like 37, 38, like, just finished paying my student loans and I'm like how are you doing that how it's you're a dancer you're still living in New York you're paying it's crazy wow oh. <laughs> I know 37 is probably young as well to have finished yeah. paying his student loans yeah I mean That's everyone has different amounts of loans yeah. but yeah so do you have a loan that you still need to pay back no, I'm very lucky. Oh, you were a scholar. You got a scholarship. <laughs> no, oh no, I wish I had a scholarship. <laughs> that was really annoying. I didn't get one. Um, my grandfather uh, paid for uh, my education. Amazing very lucky that he could support me in that sense. Amazing, cool. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yeah, there were not many of us who basically went through Juilliard without any scholarship and without any financial aid. Yeah, yeah, because it just isn't possible. The amount that they ask for in America is just ridiculous. Like, it's cheaper for you guys to come over here and pay full fees in Europe than yeah. it is for you to pay full fees in America. Yeah, I remember um, my first year coming to Europe and then the people who were apprentices in the company complaining about having to still pay for their final year of school. I was like, yeah, it's ridiculous that you have to do that. How much? Yeah, you know, like a thousand or two thousand a semester. Like, you can, you can, do that. don't worry. Uh, no, not even a semester. It's like a year. Exactly. It's crazy. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, because that's really true. Because like in the Netherlands, you have to do your fourth year as your internship year, but you're still paying for college. And everyone's like, oh, why am I paying this money? And it's like, you have no idea how good we have it. Like, But that's also such an incredible um, opportunity that you have that one year of safety net to sort of get introduced into the dance world, but still, you know, feel like you're just, I don't know, starting out or... Yeah, that you're not on your own. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, like in the Netherlands, it's a good system that like it creates a wealth of work for interns. But it's one of these two tiered things where like the fact that there's a cap on what you can earn. So you can earn you can only earn like, I think, 300 and something euro a month as an intern. Right. And like you'll get work as an intern, but then nobody but they, they just keep a certain amount of slots every year for interns because they can afford it so you get work experience and then you get shooed out into a working field that doesn't actually have support for fully professional dancers to pay them right one thing that also frustrates me so much actually with the interns is that there are choreographers out there who are more likely to pick an intern because they're saving money yep instead of a professional dancer yeah which is it's fine to then say that you're only looking for interns, but then when you invite everybody, and not to sound rude or insensitive to younger dancers, but someone who has a career for 10 years and is amazing compared to an intern who is just getting started, maybe not on the same level, but they're getting chosen just because they're cheaper. Cheap. Yeah. It's unfortunate for the dance world. Yeah. It, it, wonderful for their education. So it, you see both sides. Yeah. It, like, it would be fine if there was more just funding in dance anyway. So then it was like there was the flexibility of that choice rather than, oh, OK, I have enough budget to make like a trio. But actually, if if only one of them is a professional, then I could like make a like quintet or whatever. Right. And working if, if you're that one professional working with four other apprentices, you know, that's not i mean i remember my first year out in in the, the professional world and you're a different artist than you were that first year you learned so much but that one professional dancer who is sort of the mother or father of the group let's say it's a bit unfortunate for them yeah unless they love being that character yeah i don't know the state of the dance world at the moment is really pretty appalling like even yes. you're even though Europe has like still more funding and stuff than maybe America does and everything, it's it's really bad here. Yeah. No, it's difficult because you can understand it also from the perspective of choreographers. And that's also what makes it hard. Because they're also struggling with funding and everything. Yeah. 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 All around it's just a struggle. <laughs> yeah. It's so silly when there's just like so much money being spent on so many other things in society and then the arts are just getting smaller and smaller and smaller yeah i mean and also in the past what last month or two months ago when the uh the list came out of what was getting funded here in the netherlands mm -hmm. and what was getting cut like yeah and that's from one year to the next they just say okay last time bye bye yeah and then you have all these companies or all these choreographers who are drowning in uh in, un in being unable to survive with the funding that they were given before to then what they're getting nowadays yeah you see these incredible companies 
that were there 10 years ago in the Netherlands that are gone now. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we do need a dancer to become president. <laughs> <laughs> Is that supposed to happen before or after Kanye? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we, we were just talking about before, before the call that, uh, you know, Philip Shabib? Um, I've heard of the name. He was a So You Think You Can Dance winner one year and um, like he's really big in LA and he like choreographed for NDT2 like last year and everything. Um, he But he po- posted this kind of mock video on Instagram the other day saying he's quitting dance and becoming uh, quitting dance and becoming a politician. He's going to run for president. No, like it's a jo- like it's a joke or it's a yeah. satire. But the thing is, if if nobody who actually has lived in the arts world becomes, you know, in a position to to be a part of the change, then we're screwed. Like, it's always going to be some just old white guy sitting on the arts council, like, deciding who gets money. And, like, yeah. he's, he's not going to fight for more money. No. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult world that we all chose to be in. Because it's not... Yeah, we just didn't really know the extent of it. <laughs> right, no one was telling us when we were 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, you're just being supported because you want to follow your dreams. But yeah. you're just not, not aware that, like, the nightmares that are, hum- like, modern society around the dreams. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the journey. Let's see how it ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, I think I didn't have uh, any more questions, I think. Yeah, no, I think just if you have a task that you would enjoy. Did you, did Hayden remember, remind? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Sometimes he forgets. <laughs> no, this is, um, we've been doing it every week because the podcast kind of started with Dylan and I sharing with each other these kind of um, improv tasks. And so then something we decided to do was just every week include a new task and we think it's nice to ask the guests so if you have something then uh okay yeah well if you if you've already said it though then i'll have to change it but okay. um an improv task is imagining that there's like an egg shape in front of you okay. and you can start with just one foot and you imagine um on the different parts of your foot there's different colors of paint and you're sort of painting the um inside and the outside of the egg with these different colors and then that can change into your knee and the egg can be in a different place or the egg can move, it can be the full size of your body, it can be a tiny small egg and really articulating through the joints and the different possibilities of your body, if that makes sense. Cool, yeah, 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 yeah it does. Do you, do you do this a lot yourself? Um, sometimes, yeah, I, I teach uh, improv class when I'm doing a warm up to either other professionals or amateurs, and I like to do this task because it gets people out of their normal way of moving and it allows them to turn their brain super on that they even forget uh, to like fall into their tendencies. Yeah. So I like to break people's ideas of what their norm is and challenge them. Cool. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Do you teach a lot of improv? Or? Uh, I do. I mean, whenever I get the opportunity, I really enjoy teaching improvisation because uh, there's so many different um, 
ways to teach it. You know, you can go in a Gaga route. You can go in a full-on picture in some people's mind, like a journey. But uh, I enjoy it because constantly switching it up. And like I said before, you're not sticking to one way of moving. So it's challenging the artist. Nice. Thanks. Have to have to try to come take one of your classes sometime. Yeah, let me come teach you intro dance. Get you guys <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> but yeah, does intro dance have they started getting any classes other than ballet yet? No. No, I don't think they. Have. <laughs> Pity. That's actually something that I want to start to try to do this year is because we're allowed one one day a week to do like to miss class. So I want to try to see if there's anybody interested. There's one other person at least, but if there's anybody interested to get in one of the other studios and do something a little more along the improv lines, just to uh, break away from the ballet for at least one day a week. Cool. Yeah, you should. I think it's in any situation, any company, it's nice to just switch things up and have different forms of morning training. Yeah. Because you can gain so much more from it. Yeah. Actually, that's a, a, something that comes to mind now. Have you found your ability to improvise and to propose material to choreographers? Have you found that really important in your freelance career so far? 100%. I think that's one of the biggest assets of mine that I feel really comfortable with because a lot of times you're not learning repertoire. It's more yeah. creation and you have to be available to give and produce and share with the choreographer or to offer to offer them different ideas and they can it's their choice then to take it or not but if you can offer them something through your movement you can really go with the way that you move and what you look good in and that will then make the work better or make you look better it's very important to hone in on your improvisation skills and your creation skills for a contemporary a, a freelance dancer especially in the contemporary world yeah, yeah. i agree cool great cool cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome great <laughs> yes yeah, <an> american accent <laughs> no it's uh it's been really nice to to chat with you it's been a while actually since we had a a recording session so no but um i've also really really enjoyed my time it's been nice chatting and also eye-opening for myself about what I think about some of these topics. It's it's just nice to talk about these things sometimes. It just helps, like, you know, just digest the thinking or bring things to the foreground, at least I find. Yeah, so, no, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. It's really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Really glad that I could do this. Yeah, so thank you for joining us. Thank you. Ab absolute pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Likewise. And uh, enjoy the day. Yeah, you too. <laughs> uh, and this is Dylan, Hayden, and Evan signing off. <laughs>